Education Foundation has just conducted a two-week tour of some of the world's top universities, including Harvard and New York University. Mitchell Strange, one of the participants in the tour, is joining us to share his experience and tell us about the benefits of such tours in advancing First Nations leadership in education. Welcome to NITV Radio, Mitchell. Thanks for having me. Now, as it's your first time on our show, let's just start by uh, a short introduction to our listeners. Yes, uh, how's it going, everyone? I'm Mitchell Strange. I'm a Google Yelenji man. My mob's from far north Queensland. Uh, But I was born and raised on Darawal land down in Sydney. I went to, yeah, school to Sydney, raised there. Uh, Went to UAW as my undergraduate university. And I've now moved over to WA on the West Coast to on Wajaknongan land, and I'm currently doing the meeting from here. Now, you are part of the tour. How far in um, the education journey do participants have to be to be eligible for this type of tour? They're looking at people who are very close to graduating, um, the undergraduate level, or have graduated either undergraduate or postgrad, who are looking to do further postgraduate study after university. Yeah, obviously, people with a good track record. Now, which university altogether did you visit? Uh, We started in New York, so we started uh, with NYU and Columbia University as well. Uh, We had a week in New York, and then we traveled uh, north to Boston and then had a week there where we visited Harvard and MIT as well. And how far in your academic journey are you? I've I've graduated from university, but I I was an electrical engineer. and what, what I was looking for on the study tour is I'd probably doing my Master's of Science or uh, Master's, yeah, of Engineering Management, perhaps, at, at these universities. It's said that 94% of students who take part in Aurora Foundation tours, education tours, end up enrolling in one of the universities, uh, the institutions they've visited. What are your plans? Um, so I, I'm going to apply for MIT and NYU. and and Columbia as well. But my two preferences would be MIT or NYU, looking at doing some wireless communication research um, whilst doing the master's program with these unis. Why specifically do you choose these two institutions? Uh, MIT or Massachusetts Institute of Technology seems quite obvious. Why these choices? There are other institutions that also excel in uh, technology. So NYU... um, a lot of my research actually came out of the wireless laboratory for my thesis. And so when I was there, I was lucky enough to actually be invited to go through the laboratory and look at all the equipment that they used to, to create the research, which then I used in my own research as well. So it was fantastic to see this state-of-the-art equipment that's going to be used in, like the new, in 6G and, and future communication technologies. 6G, we've barely started deploying and adopting 5G and you're already talking about 6G. Well, that's like a decade away. Yeah, closer than you think. It's it's getting close and uh, yeah, we have to start planning for it now. And so that's why I want to sort of be there and be amongst that sort of revolutionary technology that's coming. I've got this top-of-the-range phone with a 5G capability, but most of the time I'd be lucky to get... 5G connectivity, uh, a big chunk of the network is still using 4G, even uh, 3G. As much as I love Australia, sometimes like, we do lack a little bit in our technology development. So I think these unis will provide a great opportunity to see see what's next and what the state of the art is. 
Going back to the tour, you said you had the opportunity to visit a state-of-the-art lab. Can you tell us more about uh, other features of the study tour? Yeah, so the the tour was set up in a way that it was we had to organise meetings with like academics and the professors uh, and missions officers in like the degrees and fields that we were interested in. Yeah. But then Aurora helped set up other meetings with current students, um, current current um, like Roberta Sykes scholars that are studying internationally right now. Like that, that was really good to have those sort of times to have questions and answers with them as well and what they've experienced while uh, being. Now, following your visit, uh, you say you've decided to do a master's. Will you do a master's by research or master's by coursework? Those are some of the conversations that I've had. So a lot of the programs are set up to be like sort of coursework, but with the option of building in a research project in the in the, in the following year. So I'm hoping to, to be able to do to do the coursework and research components together. Yeah, it seems you're more interested in research. Six uh, six G more specifically. Have you narrowed down your research area? Uh, terahertz communications sort of thing. So that's in the upper radio bands in the microwave frequencies. Terahertz. Hertz in uh, H-R-T-Z, I guess. Now you're going to have to educate me as I'm no scientist. Uh, that sounds like uh, something out of this world to me. Yes, yeah, so our Wi-Fi, your Wi-Fi router at home that works on 2.4 gigahertz. And yeah. so the terahertz is like another 1,000 times faster than that. Wow, that sounds like lightning speed. The blue sky thinking of this technology is that you could be in Australia and you could be performing um, surgery on someone who's in America with no lag or latency sort of thing. That type of speed could give you the confidence to operate on someone remotely in real time without any lag, I guess. That could have life-threatening consequences if something were to go wrong because a one millimeter surgical incision can easily become a gaping wound instantly. They will give the ability to have that feedback on what, how, like instantaneous, like how far you've cut. You can sort of feel that on the tools that you're going to be using. Almost That's in the, real time. Yeah, that, definitely in real time. Absolutely in real time. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like science fiction to me. I just consider how difficult it was for us to even be able to connect for this interview. Now you're telling me that in the future I can confidently undergo a surgical operation remotely. Just imagine the effect of a few seconds lag. If you slice someone's vein, then you lose connection even for a few seconds, let alone minutes. One could bleed to death in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely definitely a long way to go before we get there, but that's just the potential, you know, and the, it'd be nice to have, not necessarily what's going to happen. Going back to your study tour and your selection of places where you want to study, I can imagine myself many years back when considering where to study. Uh, well, in my case, I also looked at where the uni was, the city where it was located, whether it was a friendly place. Even the climate was a factor that um, went into uh, my decision-making because I wouldn't want to be freezing to death or sweating like crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that, like, that, was a, that was a great thing about the study tour is that, you know, I got to go to New York and Boston and New York's this like amazingly crazy place and it's just like overwhelming when you first get there. Like even if you live in Sydney, it's a, it's a, it's a different experience to the amount of people that, that are there and to talk to current students that have moved from Australia and are living there 
it gives you a good um, understanding of what what you will need, like what housing requirements you're going to need, what, like what the cost of living will be while you're doing that sort of study. We had the we had a we had the mentor Brett who was on the tour with us, and there sorry, there's probably eight there was eight of us, eight scholars on the tour, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all different all different um, backgrounds, but we had mentors. We had Brett the mentor, and then we met up with people who are at Columbia, who are at Harvard, who are at MIT. And they were just giving us, like, great oh, – and even at NYU, sorry, too. Like, they just gave us a good understanding of how everything worked. It sounds like an exciting tour. How long was the process of application and um, uh, all the process leading up to the trip itself? I, I applied back a, bit, a long time ago now um, before COVID happened, and so that was for the original study tour, but then – because we couldn't travel internationally, we did a, um, a, a Sydney symposium instead. So we did a little bit of similar. I reapplied again at the end of last year, uh, or started this year, sorry. Um, and we did a little like interview process um, and just sort of, yeah, talk through what your motivations for study are and why you're interested in the study tour. Yeah, uh, I think you. I think I had to. I had to attach what my like my university transcripts and possibly. A few letters of refer like from a referee, as yeah. well, yeah, like an academic and personal referee. That was for the original, original um, study yeah, that the, I the wanted to go on to, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, I, I, there was a new this this time round. The applications opened, I think, in December and January um, to go on to this study tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. COVID, uh, yeah, it wrecked havoc for everyone. But besides having to prepare your application, uh, the visa process as well, I would guess that will take time. And I believe applications are now open for the next batch of students to do the same tour. Like applications for this, like the next study tour have just opened as well. I just got a, an email confirming that as well. Yeah. So again, how far are you in your process? Uh, when are you starting? I haven't actually applied to the universities yet, so my my intention is to study after. Yeah. Um, so twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five is when I. Wow. Uh, Another year and a bit next, already. Yeah. Um. That, that's how I am already working. I, I have a full time job at the moment. I'm an onboard systems engineer. Um. For the locomotives, but my workplace can be quite supportive in terms of further study, especially if it will build my skills and knowledge. So. Um, that's a that's a conversation I'm yet to have, but it'll be great to be able to have the opportunity to to go to such an institution and then bring that knowledge back to Australia. Now, Mitchell, any final thoughts before I let you go? I guess just probably one thing. It was quite confronting walking into places like Columbia and Harvard. Like these are institutions that have stood for over 300 years, for like, but they've been mainly for like their you know, rich white people and their legacies. Like, they're just a big symbol of colonialism. So when I first entered the mug, I'm like, I, I very much thought wasn't worthy or or even, like, smart enough to be there. Um, but, like, yeah, just just these positive conversations that I had with, within, like, admissions officers there, professors, like, the mentors and, like, the, the leaders who are there to support us, even other scholars, like, they just helped me realise that, we're going to be there for a reason where we're traveling there to study and disrupt that status quo. And I think that's what we should be looking at doing and and challenging ourselves to to do that. Uh, Are those institutions ready to adapt and provide a safe space for First Nations people from other parts of the world? 
uh, Australia in this uh, particular case? They are very open to, to anyone coming to these universities like that. That's what I found. But it's a good point in terms of the First Nations people. It, it is it is a stark difference between what facilities they, they have access to in these universities compared to the what we have at, at our at our own universities. Their Indigenous centres or their First Nations centres, like they they don't really compare in a way. Um, but at, at Harvard, they have a program, the HUNAP, um, the HUNAP program, Harvard University Native American program, but they look after all First Nations people from across the world. So if you go to Harvard there, they will look after you as well. Providing cultural safety, I believe, is uh, the minimum they should provide. What else do they do that stands out? Uh, so that, that, that's a great question. Like I think they, they're very much um, a methodology of enabling that sort of stuff. So if you want to bring something and celebrate or have something like recognised, I guess, you, you can use them to help support you push that through. Because I think some of these institutions are very big at times and it's hard for just one student to make waves. But if you have the support of an entire uh, yeah, program behind you, then that can help as yeah. well. Because yeah, 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 yeah. uh, we, we, we did have some great conversations with UNAP as well when we were there. We even went to their lecture, um, their annual lecture that they had. But yeah, they were talking about how they organised um, a, a trip out 